Well, it's a pleasure to welcome you today to Graceway Baptist Church, our Sunday school hour. And I appreciate you who are watching this or listening to this because you're working on your lesson and you, you really enhance our ministry and you're a real blessing to the church. And I praise God for you and thank you for it. And then for those of you who watch this because uh, you want to keep up with what your Sunday school class is doing, uh, that's, that's something that I'm very proud of you for doing and I appreciate it so very much. So thank you for taking and making the effort to watch this and to grow with us and to be a part of what God is doing in the life of other people. Even though you can't be there with them, you can still be praying for them and learning what they're learning. And I just think that's really, really great. So thank you so much for that. We are looking at the lesson today that we're going to present on November the 19th. Now, November 19th is also the date that we're doing our churchwide Thanksgiving dinner that we uh, always do. And so uh, we want to uh, make sure that you are aware of that, invite people, press it, push it. And uh, also we want people from our community to come and friends and neighbors and relatives, anybody uh, that you bring with you will be welcome. And uh, we'll have the opportunity to present the gospel to them. I've asked uh, Preston Burns to uh, speak before we eat, and so he'll be sharing the gospel. Um, and so you want to get as many lost people here as you can, and we'll have a great time. And then we'll go back into the gym as we always do, and we'll eat together giving thanks to God for all of His goodness, all of His blessings, and so many things that we need to stop and give thanks to God for that we just take for granted. Just be thankful and think about all of the things in your life that uh, your ancestors never had and that people in ancient times never had. I mean, just a cool drink of water in the middle of the summer or air conditioning or transportation the way we do. There, there are just tons of things we ought to be really grateful for. And uh, we certainly ought to be grateful for our families and to be grateful for our church, grateful for our salvation, grateful for the Word of God. Grateful for technology like this. What a great thing that is. As well as being grateful for the nation that we live in. And we could go on and on and on and on. Count your blessings, the old hymn says, and name them one by one. And uh, boy, it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And it will also surprise you at how good we really have it. So um, anyway, consider that for the 19th. Now we're going to be looking... At, uh, the theme here is walking in the Spirit again. And then we say it takes attention uh, from you. It takes attention from you. Now, um, I'll contend a little bit with some of the modern ideas about being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and how it makes everybody look at you. Look how spiritual you are. Look how... Uh, faithful you are look how wonderful you are and uh, the the walking in the spirit does not draw attention to us you remember that when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit Jesus said he will testify of me and there are so many weird wild and woolly things that are attributed to the Holy Spirit people bark like dogs and do all kinds of stuff and act crazy and foolish so everybody watches them and then they can tell you well 
You know, the reason I'm the way I am is because I'm closer to God. I know the Lord. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. And it's all I, 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 I. Now we're going to see today that walking in the Spirit is actually much different than uh, maybe we think. We're going to be looking in Galatians 6, 11 through 15. And uh, notice, notice this in the introduction. Selfishness destroys a believer's walk with God, ministry in the church, and effectiveness as a parent, and a testimony before the lost. You know, there's something about it. People can smell selfishness, and boy, it just stinks. And whenever we do what we do because we want to brag about who we are and how close we are to God and how much better we are than everyone else, even though I know we don't say that, but we kind of give that, that air and it's like, yeah, something's rotten in Denmark, right? Kind of like when you open up your refrigerator and something's not quite right in there, you can kind of smell it. That's the way pride is and that's the way insincerity is. And that's the way selfishness is. And somebody says sin is S-I-N, selfishness. And I think that's uh, pretty close. And so it destroys all of that. And it ruins our testimony. Let's go on. We are to be like Jesus, who is anything but selfish. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Now you can't do that and be selfish, can you? Having the same love, well, there again, you can't do that and be selfish. Being of one accord, somebody's got to give in order for that to happen. And of one mind. And then he clears it up. Let nothing be done through, notice the word, selfish ambition. Ambition's okay. Selfish ambition is horrible. It's a sin. Or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Well, that goes against pop psychology and, and uh, human nature and everything, doesn't it? Considering others, esteeming others better than himself. Verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest. I mean, you have to do that to a degree. But also for the interests of others. So how would that change family life? How would that change a marriage? How would that change a neighborhood? How would that change a church? How would that change a nation if we really did that? And that is the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. That's our responsibility to think, to act, and to be motivated just as Christ was. So Galatians chapter 6, 11 through 15, let's go to our text. Now, notice this. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. You know, our first reaction to that might be, well, well big deal. Well, I'm going to point out something that I think is very relevant in that. Verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing Notice, in the flesh, in human ability, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, 
but they desire to have you circumcised. Why? That they may boast in your flesh or what you have done yourself. And Paul clears it up in verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails or accomplishes anything, but what does? And he says it, but a new creation. And that's the bottom line. We need something, not that we can do, but something that only God can do, so that only God receives the glory. So, it cannot be self-centered. It does not draw attention to ourself, but it draws attention, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here are our points. Number one, walking in the Spirit endures hardship. Now, Paul says, See with what large letters I have written to you, with my own hand. So, well, large letters indicate bad eyesight. I know a little something about that. Paul is talking about, though, in a time where he didn't have the help of technology. He didn't have the help of medical science. No corrective lenses back then. Uh, there was nothing he could do. There was no cataract surgeries, if that might be his problem. If there were an injury to his optic nerve or something like that, where the eye's information could not get back to the brain, which is what I suffer from, um, no help, nothing at all. Now, how hard would it be in a day like that if you couldn't see and you couldn't get any help, you couldn't get any correction? And Paul is telling them, I care so much about this I am writing this myself. See the large letters? Again, it uh, doesn't say for sure, but that would certainly indicate that he had eyesight trouble. Now put yourself in the place of the Apostle Paul with his travels, with his writings, with all of the things that he was doing. Think about his sufferings. Think about shipwrecked. Uh, think about the beatings that he took. Think about being in prison and all of that. Everything in Paul's life was hard. I uh, think that because of the way I have to live, and I just don't have any choice about it, and there's nothing they can do um, for me, my eyes are okay, it's my optic nerve that's the problem. The, the signals don't get to my brain, and technology just hadn't caught up with all of that yet. And so it literally makes everything I do much more difficult. There are things I just don't see. There are things that uh, occasionally I knock over because uh, we have a granite countertop with a lot of kind of a pattern in it, a natural pattern and all that. And uh, there may be something sitting on it and it kind of blends in with everything else. And I may knock it over or I may not see it or I have to have help. If um, I drop a contact or something like that, there's no way I'm going to be able to find it. And so I have to get Sammy to help me look for it. Uh, my driving days are pretty much over and uh, reading is extremely difficult. And uh, sometimes somebody will point at something like for traveling or driving. Oh, look over there. And it's like, I can't, I can't see anything. I can't do anything like that. I have trouble with colors and seeing different shades of things. Now, contrast, I can tell pretty much, but 
You know how hard it is sometimes to tell the difference between navy blue and black or a different shade of, of gray or something like that or a color that someone has or matching clothes up or something like that. Everything gets hard. And I have so much to help me and I have so many things like even just reading glasses that do, do help me some and uh, the contrast of having... Uh, you know, a device here that I can use so I can write these things out. Those are a great blessing, and I try to remember to rejoice in that and in people that are understanding and kind and those who help me. But then every once in a while, there may be something that I trip over. There may be something that I knock over. There may be something that I can't really enjoy that other people can because I just can't see. And I think about how it just makes life hard and difficult. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that to complain. I'm just doing that to illustrate, well, what must it have been like for the Apostle Paul? What must it have been like in his day when he didn't have anything to really help him? He just had to live with it. Uh, I think about all of the things he had to do and all the things he had to go through. And that leads us to think about this first point, walking in the Spirit. Does what? It endures hardship. I want to ask you a question. What do you endure for the cause of Christ? Now, some things, it's not like that if you're enduring hardship, oh, how great and wonderful and noble you are. You probably didn't have any choice. So you just muddle through and you just do the best you can with what you have. But the Bible also says, if anyone would follow after me, let him take up his cross That's an instrument of death. That's an instrument of torture. That is an instrument of hardship. Just carrying it adds to your load. Uh, So in this day and age where we don't want anything to cost us anything, we don't want anything to make us uncomfortable, we don't want anything to demand anything of us, unless we're going to get some kind of glory for it. Somebody said, uh, since it's football season, that... um, When you see the fans in the stands watching the players on the field, I said that there are 11 men on the field desperately in need of rest, being watched and cheered on by thousands of people who desperately need exercise, right? Uh, Why do those people put themselves out on the field? Well, they do it for the glory of it, for the most part. I'm sure there are some exceptions, but they do that because they love the game, they love the publicity, they love the future that it gives them. Uh, Maybe they do it for an education, maybe they do it because they're going to play professionally and become an instant millionaire, I don't know. Maybe they love the roar of the crowd or whatever, but uh, in Christianity we don't do things for the roar of the crowd, we don't do things for simply the award or the achievement or the praise of men. I don't think we do, or do we? It's easy to fall into that trap. And when we do that, we may put up with some hardship, and sometimes we put up with some difficult and, well, translate that into annoying people. And we're kind to them and nice because we don't want to look bad and we don't want to look like we are walking in the flesh. We're walking in the Spirit. Now, if we could see the inside of us, it might be a different matter, right? And God does see that. And so he says, I want you to be different from the inside out, but it's not going to be easy. Jesus promised us, in the world you will have tribulation. And there are some of the best Christians I know, well, they have family problems. Sometimes their kids 
abandon the faith and, and just walk away from everything that their parents have ever taught them. There are people that endure hardship with disease and hardship with difficulties in life. I think about how uh, Maria Altunian is uh, so faithful uh, coming to church and ministering to her Sunday school class, and yet it's difficult for her. Now, she's one of many. There are other people who go through the same things. It's not just one or two. And uh, we think about people that have to go through those things in order to do what they do. I think about how Roger and Becky Pig are so faithful to church, but they also work in BBS and anything else that they can. They're just always involved in that. And you know that it's not easy for them to do that, especially for Miss Becky. I think about other people and the different problems that they have, and they have a smile on their face, and they continue to do things serving other people because they have something more than just an easy life. They have the joy of the Lord, which is the fruit of the Spirit, and the joy of the Lord is their strength. You understand what I'm saying? We live in a world that says, I don't want anything to take up more time than I'm willing to give to take me away from something that I really want to do. I don't want it to take any effort. I don't want it to take, it ought to be just all easy peasy and we ought to just, you know, be able to have it. But if that were the case, we wouldn't have the gospel because Paul wouldn't have lived a life like that. Or if Paul had been like us, he wouldn't have lived the life that he did and it was a life of extreme hardship. And that's what verse 11 actually tells us about this. And so life was difficult for him on so many ways. Now normally Paul would have used an amanuensis. And that is a fancy word for a secretary. Somebody would have written all this down for him. But he wants them to know he took the time, he took the effort, he endured the hardship even of writing the letter to them, even though he had to write in really large print. Why? Because he wanted to demonstrate love to them. There's something about the personal writing of someone that demonstrates a lot of love and a lot of care. Paul did that. And let's just think of it like this, one of our bullet points. He did what he could and didn't focus on his limitations. You know, so many times we're too quick to say, well, I can't do that, and then we give a reason. We're limited, we're confined, we are, you know, there, there's some hardship that keeps us from doing that. Now, there's a place for that sometimes, but when it's that way all the time, and we're so busy thinking about what we don't have and what we can't do, that we don't do what we can. I mean, maybe you, and, and, and I'm using this just as an illustration, maybe in your life you have to minister in large print. Maybe in your life you have to minister in bold print or something. And it's kind of embarrassing and it's, you know, kind of weird and people may make fun of you because they don't understand, but you're doing it. And you're doing it for the good of other people. You're doing it to bless other people. In fact, you're fulfilling the great commandment, which is to love God with everything you've got, regardless of your limitations, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so you just find a way and you just do it. I'm so thankful for people like the Apostle Paul. I'm so thankful for people that uh, I've known over the years that in spite of their problems and limitations, uh, my friend with ALS, I noticed I hadn't seen anything online about him lately, and I noticed that he hadn't responded to 
any emails that I sent him, and I thought, oh no, I hope nothing's happened. And so uh, he wrote me back the other day and said that, yeah, life, his, his disease is progressing, and it's getting even more and more difficult. You know what ALS does. He's going to die from it unless the Lord intervenes. And then he told me, I'm getting ready to preach again on the 19th of November, which is, this is when our lesson is, right? And uh, for him to put that together, I don't know how he does it, because all he has is his eyesight, and that's how he works computers, that's how he prints things out. It must be tedious and slow. And then he has to use an artificial voice because he can no longer speak, and then he has to edit all of that, make sure it's doing everything right. Is it worth it? I think he would say it's worth it. I think he would say more people listen to me now than ever did before. Why? Because you got to pay attention to a guy like that when he's on the stage of a large church in Missouri like he is. And there is one of their elders, one of the people they know who is in such bad shape and yet he's not quitting. He keeps on and he keeps on. And that's what Paul is saying and that's what walking in the Spirit will do for each uh, one of us. It keeps us from simply focusing on uh, our limitations. See with what large letters that um, I am writing this. And that is his love for the church. And so uh, walking in the spirit number two, now th this is, you're going to have to think about this, is honestly Christ-centered. Well, you might say, well, of course it is. Why did you put the word honestly in there? And I'm going to use it a little bit different because certainly we all know that honestly it's Christ-centered. We can't be centered on ourselves. But let's emphasize the word. Is the Christ-centeredness that we portray to other people, is that honest? Sometimes I'm afraid it's a little bit of a performance. Sometimes I'm afraid it's a little bit of a an act that we put on because we know how we're supposed to act. We know how we're supposed to talk. We know how we're supposed to behave. We would be embarrassed if we did otherwise. But um, as I said earlier, oh, if other people could only see what is really inside of us. And so we want our Christ-centeredness to be honest. And the Spirit of God can do that. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh... That means the way I look, the way I act, the way that I am. Uh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Oh, that's what it's all about. It really wasn't about you getting right with God. It was about making them look good and making you look good as you follow them and as you walk with them. You ever seen a parent that was kind of embarrassed by their child? The Judaizers wanted these people to conform to them, follow them, obey them, do what they said. Not because they cared about those people, but because they wanted to look like I'm a powerful, influential person. Look, these people have done everything that I said. Take that, Paul. These people compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What does that mean? It means that they would want you to have a mark on your body that would keep the Pharisees in the temple off of their back. See, the Pharisees in the temple were not real big on Jesus and not real big on the cross, but they would tolerate it if it would promote and expand Judaism. 
and Judaism was promoted and expanded by taking the first step of the mark of circumcision. And so these people, these Judaizers, could be in good with these lost people in the temple and not be persecuted by them if they were preaching circumcision. You see what they were doing? They were proclaiming, we care about you and we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Liars, everything they did was for themselves. It was for their benefit. It was to keep them from suffering. It was to make them look good in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the religion and the culture that they were. They were making a good showing in the flesh. They were not walking in the spirit. And their motive here is revealed that they may not suffer persecution. So the demand for circumcision in the life of the Galatians made them more acceptable to the Jewish leaders in the temple, okay, who were not Christ followers. And so they didn't deny the cross. Now listen carefully. They just made it a secondary issue. The cross is good, but it's just a step in the right direction. But you've got to go through the rite of circumcision to really get this done. That's what makes you acceptable. To God, well, yeah, that's what they would say. But really, to the Pharisees, to the people that were in the temple. God forbid, Paul said, that I should boast except in the cross of Christ. And so the circumcision they demanded was not for God and it wasn't for the Galatians. Paul says it was to protect themselves. Thirdly, walking in the Spirit emphasizes grace. Now, grace is the undeserved favor of God. Okay? Whenever you get involved in works and the flesh and all of that, it is the deserved favor of God. I've done my part, God. You've got to reward me. I've done everything you commanded, so you've got to let me in on all of that. Well, none of us can achieve that because we can never please God in the flesh. Verse 13 says, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. It's all about human pride and human boasting, isn't it? Verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the religious ritual of circumcision did not and could not atone for sin. It could not even prevent sin. It was just a mark. It was just something that was in the body. It was just something that could be, probably wasn't most of the time, but could be, if necessary, visible for someone else to see. As opposed to the work of being born again, which is something that is invisible in your life, you don't see it when somebody gets saved. You see the evidence of it that comes after they're saved, not that they were doing it in order to be saved. So the focus is upon the work of man, not God, if you're a Judaizer. And it said that even the circumcised, the Jews, they themselves do not really keep the law, just certain parts of it, but they want to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh, that is, in the fact that they convinced you to be circumcised is the way the Amplified Version puts it. See, it's not about God. It's not about salvation. It's, not about, it's about them and how good they look and how they can boast in you. 
Wow, that is legalism at its core. We've got to be so careful that we don't want people in our class and in our church to conform to a certain thing so that we look good and so that we appear to be so influential in their lives. We want to do it for the glory of God and also for their good. So Paul's boast is in Christ alone and the work of Christ totally changed Paul and he said, the world has been crucified to me. It's dead to me and I'm dead to it as well, but I'm alive to Christ Jesus. And so he took no credit at all. So let's finish up. Number four, walking in the spirit emphasizes the new birth. And that's what we find in verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. It's, it's not a thing. It's not a big deal. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you worse either way. Now look what he says. What is it that matters to Christ, but a new creation. And that's the key. You cannot be the way you are and be right with God. You can't enter into his presence. You can't go to heaven. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't understand the word of God. None of that is going to matter in any way, shape, or form. Okay? And that's what he says with circumcision or any other thing that we do. A lost murderer is just as lost and bound for hell as a lost non-murderer, in other words. A thief is just as lost and bound for hell as a lost non-thief. The key is, are you saved? Have you been born again? As we've been seeing on Sunday morning in the third chapter of John, a man must be born again or he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And being born again is not something that you can do for yourself. It's not something that can be done with a knife. It's not something that can be done by a surgeon. It's not something that can be done by rituals. It's not something that can be done by supposed morality or anything like that at all. Being born again is a work of the Spirit of God, a supernatural work of the Spirit of God that takes place on the inside and works its way out. We're a new creation in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. So it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And as we saw, the circumcised people, the Judaizers, wanted to boast in their power, their influence, and in their followers. Look how good they are. And, and they wanted to keep persecution away from them. See the difference? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And the natural man has no life, no forgiveness, and absolutely no hope. But a new creation, someone who is born again, has new life in Christ Jesus. Think about this as we conclude. Remember the song? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. And let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Because our boast, which means all the glory, has to go to God and to God alone. To God alone. That's where our focus needs to be. And so think about that. And as we wrap up the book of Galatians, understand that Paul wants us to really get it. The gospel is the gospel. Don't monkey with it. And you must be born again. And as a born again person, your problems 
are solved and your sin issue is solved if you'll just walk in the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. And how do you know you're following the Spirit? Because the Spirit always agrees with the Word of God. Use the Word as your guide, as your measuring stick to see how well you are keeping in step with the Spirit. Okay? Well, thank you for your time. And may the Lord bless you as you teach this lesson. And may this feed your soul and bless you and encourage you as you encourage others as well. Thank you again and we'll see you next week.